So 2 Kings chapter 16, let's begin in verse 1. It says, In the seventeenth year of Pekah the son of Remaliah, Ahaz the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaz was twenty years old when he began to reign, and he reigned sixteen years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God, as his father David had done, but he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. He even burned his son as an offering according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. So as I said earlier, King Ahaz is the 12th king of Judah, beginning to reign at the tender age of 20, uh, after having led with his father for four years under his father's direction. He had a long list of godly examples to follow, including his father Jotham, and, of course, King David, who was referred to as uh, to often as having faithfully served the Lord. But there are times when good examples are not followed. They're just good examples. And they serve to only benefit those who follow or do mimic what is good. You see, some choose to do what is opposite of what is good. No matter the number and how close the good example is to that person. I'll give you some examples. Absalom and Adonijah. These were two who were sons of David. And David was... A man after God's own heart. It wasn't something that someone else said of King David, but it was what God said of David that he was a man after his own heart. But Absalom and Adonijah chose to do the things that were evil, vying for control and assumption of the throne by deception, manipulation, and force. Then there's Joseph. Joseph's brothers conspired to murder him and instead sold him into slavery. But take into consideration that they were the grandsons of Abraham, the man God chose and the man who had so great a faith that he was even willing to sacrifice his son when told to do so, believing that God would revive him because God had made a promise saying, through Isaac shall your offspring be named according to Genesis 21.12. We know that these were his thoughts because they are recorded in Hebrews chapter 11. And then there's Judas. Did Judas not spend three years with Jesus? He spent three years with Jesus, the Son of God, seeing miracle after miracle and hearing him teach what is true In hearing and seeing Jesus preach, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Warning against the hypocrisy of the religious leaders of the day. Teaching on the difficult things that led people to even turn their backs on him. And yet Judas did that very same thing. Allowing Satan to enter into his heart and being used to betray Jesus. Even though, again, he had spent Three years with him. All of this, of course, as we consider it 
it should disappoint us. It should sadden us. But it doesn't shock me when people choose to turn away from following Jesus, quote-unquote, to do their own thing. And that's what people do. They, in so many different ways, you can call it whatever you want to call it. And sometimes people say, I, I've prayed long and hard about this and chose to do this. Sometimes I wish that people wouldn't say that they prayed and sought the Lord because it is the very opposite of what the Word tells them to do and tells us to do. I don't understand how it is that you will invoke God into a decision that, that you have made when you know it's contrary to the very, very Word of God. Instead, we ought to humble ourselves before the Lord. Be meek and allow Him the place He ought to have when we're making decisions. You know, there's a man named Demas that the Apostle Paul referred to in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. It says, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. These things happen. And it's not because we did not have good examples. It's not because we didn't read the word. Because we are going to be held accountable for the things that we've come to know. That is why the, be- the beginning of wisdom and the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. That's why we ought to be humble before the Lord. Fear God. I don't want to disappoint Him. I don't want to shame Him in any way, shape, or form. Therefore, I will humble myself. I will admit. I need to admit. When what I'm saying or what I'm doing or the decisions that I'm making are not lining up with the will of God according to His Word. You know, Ahaz had spent four years with his father as an intern. His father, Jotham, he was, uh, he was considered to be a good king. He did what was good in the sight of the Lord. But he was, a father, he was an intern under his father's tutelage and learning his, under his leadership. And as we will see, he chose to do instead, even, even though he spent all that time with his father, he chose to do what was evil in the eyes of the Lord instead of doing what was right as his father had done. Made me think of um, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 6 through 13. If we would only think of these things as we're making decisions. Or 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6, it says, Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters. As some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. 
But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure in. Listen, there are bad examples. The bad examples we learn from. Those are things that we shouldn't do. Even within the church, we, we cannot justify us. Like, let's say, for instance... How many times have you heard the reason why I don't fellowship, the reason why I don't go to, go to church is because it's just full of hypocrites? No, join us. Join us because I'm sure in some way, shape, or form, you're no different than anyone else. Right? You see, we're all growing in the Lord. Any bad example, anything of that nature, really should serve as an example, as an instruction for us, as it says in what we just read, of what not to do. But we ourselves are not justified in being disobedient to the Lord because of an example of someone else. That is a bad example. Yeah, there are bad examples, but there are also good examples. And ultimately, you choose which ones to follow. Act 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, the Apostle Paul said, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. We ourselves ought to get to that place. At some point, we do not live perfect lives. But as we are pursuing the Lord, as we are walking with Him, drawing close to Him, we encourage others, come on, let's go. I am doing my best to imitate Christ. Come along with me. We ought to encourage more and more people. Because the good examples are the ones who we are to follow along with. The ones who are nurturing a relationship, trusting in and imitating Jesus Christ and not the world. So we need to read and understand what evil looks like and what not to follow. Verse 3 once again says, says this, but he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. He even burned his son as an offering according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and on the hills and under every tree. Amazing to read that of one of the kings of Judah, and yet this is exactly what he did. He walked in the ways of Israel, the sin of Jeroboam, false worship. He was identified with the sin of Jeroboam. The very things that they were doing in the northern kingdom. This is the false worship of God having set up idols. They set up these golden calves in Dan and Bethel. And assigned unauthorized priests. Anyone who would come and be willing to become a priest. They would be trained up under the king of Israel. And they would serve him really is what they were doing. And they led in the worship of those idols. It says, and he burned his son as an offering according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places. By the way, Micah, when you're reading through the word, make a note of Micah and Isaiah. Both prophets who lived during the time of King Ahaz. This is what the prophet Micah had to say about this time. Micah chapter 7 verse 1 says, Woe is me for I have become 
as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned, there is no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. The godly has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among mankind that all lie. They all lie in wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe, and the great man utters the evil desire of his soul. Thus they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright of them a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman, of your punishment, has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the, the men of his own house. But as for me... I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Micah was referring to this time of King Ahaz, a sad commentary on the day in which he ruled, the time in which the kingdom was entrusted to him. You see, this was the state of Israel at the time of Ahaz, which was during the time of Micah the prophet. It was a time of depravity. Twisted in mind, evil, despicable as we read, contemptuous against the Lord. Moloch. He was, um, if you saw a statue of Moloch, it would be the form of a man with the head of a bull. And perhaps you've seen pictures of this. He was a God that Ahaz worshipped, along with Many others, and what was included in the worship of Moloch was the metal statue would be heated to the point to where it was red hot, and the arms would be extended, and parents would bring their babies and put them in the hands of Moloch, if you could imagine that. Uh, either in the hands of Moloch or in a hole. And the only thing that would drown out the cries of the baby would be the beat of drums that would drown out the cries of the babies. Despicable. There was also with all of this ritual prostitution. It was an important form of the worship. Ashtoreth and... um, That was also a, a part of all of this worship... And it was believed that by the sacrificing of a couple's child, by following through with this act, placing the child in the arms of Moloch, or like I said, in a hole, that this act would ensure financial prosperity for them and their family and their future and any future children that they had. All of this to say, as we went through and and read what we just read, for Ahaz... He might as well live by this motto, anything goes. Now, again, just looking back, some of the people that I ran with, that is is what we would, you could say our motto was, anything goes. This is whatever, let's do it. 
This was King Ahaz, though, someone who should have known better, who had an example before him, his father, King Jotham. He had King David. He had these great examples. And yet he chose to go the way of the world, to worship false gods, idols, anything goes. Ahaz was in full participation. And the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had actually cast out from before the children of Israel. It was for this reason, by the way, that they were devoted to destruction. It was a judgment upon the abominations of the nations that occupied the land. Those very acts are the very things that now King Ahaz was participating in. And even encouraged in and facilitated throughout the southern kingdom. When we think about King Ahaz, it should come to no surprise also that he was not a man who you could trust in the Lord. He was not a man who would encourage or facilitate the true worship of our God and would easily sell out if he... If he he was a sellout, then he would very easily sell out the nation that he led, that he was entrusted with its very riches to whoever would help him out, whoever would help him succeed. And we'll see how all of this is true with King Ahaz. Verse 5 says, Then Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, came up to wage war on Jerusalem. And they besieged Ahaz, but could not conquer him. At that time, Rezin, the king of Syria, recovered Elath for Syria and drove the men of Judah from Elath. And the Edomites came to Elath, where they dwell to this day. So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. Come up and rescue me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who are attacking me. Ahaz also took the silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house and sent a present to the king of Assyria. And the king of Assyria listened to him. The king of Assyria marched up against Damascus and took it, carrying its people captive to Ker, and he killed Rezin. So as we read here, Syria and Israel came together to war against Judah. And so they besieged Judah, they, but they, this is what we read here, they were not able to conquer Ahaz. In other words, they weren't able to conquer the people fully. Now, it did prove to be devastating to the southern kingdom. Uh, we know that according to Second Chronicles 28.6, that 120,000 men of valor perished and 200,000 people were taken hostage from the southern kingdom. And this was the reason, and we read this uh, last week. It was because, as it says in Second Chronicles 28.6, because they had forsaken the Lord, the God of their fathers. But again, I always say, pay attention to God. In the midst of all this, pay attention to what He's doing. Because even then, God was being merciful and patient. And this is what He did not allow he did not allow Judah to be overcome at this time. He was being faithful to his promise to David, even though the people were being faithless 
Second Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. You see, the goal of this offensive against Ahaz was to dethrone him and exchange him and put in his place a man from Syria to take over the southern kingdom according to Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 6. At the same time as God was being patient, merciful, faithful, the actions of King Ahaz actually contributed to the downfall of Judah. And we see this come about according to Isaiah. And, and these are, this is covered in, in chapter 7 through 10. So if you're taking notes, jot down Isaiah chapter 7 through chapter 10. You could read through that. And again, this all came about because or as a result of King Ahaz's wickedness, or at least in part in leading the people down the path of evil. In fact, <clears throat> we can go to Isaiah chapter 7 and we'll read some of the verses there. So Isaiah and Micah and also in 2 Chronicles, it gives us a great understanding with, with more details so that way we could understand what's happening here in 2 Kings 16. So Isaiah chapter 7 verse 1 says, In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shir Jashub, your son at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. And say to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Remaliah. Because Syria with Ephraim, the son of Remaliah, has devised evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabil as king in the midst of it. Thus the Lord God. So, uh, thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus and the head of Damascus is resin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria and the, the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz Ask a sign of the Lord your God, let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. Two things that we ought to keep in mind here. Number one, Isaiah was sent to Ahaz. And he initially said to him, be careful, be quiet, and do not fear. 
Do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of fire burns at the fierce anger. And he goes on from there. I, I love that because this is the word that the Lord gave to Isaiah to give to King Ahaz. And man, that is a word that we ought to just take to heart. As sometimes we, we, we think about compromising, we think about seeking the ways of the world in order to appease certain circumstances that are difficult and we are faced with in life. And then he said this in verse 9, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. There are times in our lives when we have a tendency to compromise. I'm telling you, church, please listen. I see it all the time. It doesn't matter what we experience. It's nothing new. And it's not like something someone else is not going through, if not at this time, will be going through or has gone through. And yet this is what we are to exercise. Listen, as it says in Hebrews eleven six, without faith, it's impossible to please him. Shouldn't we desire to be pleasing to the Lord in all areas of our lives? In all circumstances? Then why do we justify doing differently? And thinking we're unique in some way. Listen, God, God is patient. He certainly is. Thank God for, for his patience, for his mercy. But we ought to be found faithful. That's what's pleasing to him. You see, as we look at Ahaz and we consider him, he was not willing to stand firm in his faith in the Lord and instead place his faith in Assyria. For him, he said to allow God to move on their behalf was to test God. But he was told, you can trust God. Don't fear. Be quiet. Sometimes we ought to like our thoughts are undisciplined. We have to be quiet. Be strong. Don't fear. That's all we need to hear. God is faithful. He's able. And he was saying, after all what you just said, this is how we can justify, by the way, not following what God is telling us. I don't want to test God. What, by waiting on him? You're going to test God? This is what King Ahaz was saying. I know what you said, and I know you're a prophet, and yet I don't want to test God. So I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Listen, he wasn't being told not to test. Uh, he was being told not to test God, but to trust God. God had given Ahaz every opportunity to do the right thing, but he chose not to. I bring this up, this conversation, because this is a little glimpse 
into what King Ahaz was told prior to making this decision to make a call to the king of Assyria. Ahaz sold Judah's independence to Assyria and thus placed Judah under the authority of Assyria. And this deliverance by the help of Assyria will prove to be short-lived and it'll prove to be disastrous. Instead of surrendering to Assyria, Ahaz should have surrendered to the Lord and secured the freedom of the kingdom under his authority. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 says, Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, is, there is freedom. But trusting in the world is to walk down the path of destruction always. It doesn't prove any different at any given time. Any time we trust in the world and walk down the path that it gives us or provides is wide and shallow. Many go down that path. And it leads to destruction. Listen, the world may parade around as if it's your friend. It is not. It is not your friend. Although it speak kindly to you. And tell you that you can do whatever it is that you please. That you ought to be first and foremost happy. It's just lulling you to sleep. Just like Samson. And then at some given point of compromise, will strike every time. This is what James writes in James 4.4. 4, Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Uh, enmity, opposition, uh, opposed to each other, at war with each other, and that doesn't change at any given time. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. James 4.4 Well, this was true of King Ahaz. Let's continue verse 10. It says, When King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, he saw the altar that was at Damascus. And King Ahaz sent to Uriah the priest a model of the altar. And its pattern, exact in all its details. And Uriah the priest built the altar in accordance with all that King Ahaz had sent from Damascus. So Uriah the priest made it before King Ahaz arrived from Damascus. And when the king came from Damascus, the king viewed the altar. Uh, Then the king drew near to the altar and went up on it and burned his burnt offering and his grain offering and poured his drink offering and threw the blood of his peace offerings on the altar And the bronze altar that was before the Lord, he removed from the front of the house, from the place between his altar and the house of the Lord, and put it on the north side of his altar. And King Ahaz commanded Uriah the priest, saying, On the great altar burn the morning burnt offerings and the evening grain offering and the king's burnt offering and his grain offering, with the burnt offering of all the people of the land and their grain offering and the drink offering. And throw on it all the blood of the burnt offering and all the blood of the sacrifice. But the bronze altar shall be for me to inquire by. Uriah the priest did all this as King Ahaz commanded. Uh, Let's back up a little bit to um, just address King Ahaz's trip to Damascus. 
this was um, not a casual visit to Damascus. Uh, he was going to see a foreign leader, but he was going to see a foreign leader to whom he was subjected to. And so this trip to Damascus was an act of submission. That's what it was. And while Ahaz was there, he was impressed with the altar that was at Damascus. He had drawings made of it and then sent those plans to Uriah the priest to build the altar to, use, to be used to worship his gods back in Judah. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 28 Verse 22 says this, In the time of his distress, he became yet more faithless to the Lord, this same King Ahaz. For he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus that had defeated him and said, Because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and of all Israel. And Ahaz gathered together the vessels of the house of God and cut in pieces the vessels of the house of God. And he shut up the doors of the house of the Lord. And he made himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. In every city of Judah, he made high places to make offerings to other gods, provoking to anger the Lord, the God of his fathers. Notice what it says in verse 22 to start off this section referring to the idolatry of King Ahaz. It says in verse 22, in the time of his distress, he became yet more faithless to the Lord. Again, I, you know, I, I bring up different, various circumstances, situations that we find ourselves in. And, and, and I ask the question, does that justify us veering off and doing our own thing? No. Of course not. The same act of faithlessness affected many others including those, keep in mind, even affecting those who had previously been referred to as being faithful to the Lord, like Uriah the priest. Be careful in your times of distress. I tell you, I'm I'm not trying... I, I, I understand compassion. I understand coming alongside you should we we should do that times when we are faced with the difficulties of life in some way shape or form things that could seem overwhelming be careful mind yourself the things that you think the things that you do the manner in which you treat others be mindful of all that especially where when you're in distress Be careful that you do not allow your thoughts to wander and lead you to seek for deliverance from your circumstances by means outside of God. Things, people, activities, philosophies, or the replacement of the worship of God with idolatry. Again, all things that as we see in Scripture 
Our hearts are deceitful and wicked. Who can know them have a tendency to do the very same things? We can even focus on ourselves and then surround ourselves with people who also are willing to focus on us. You can do that. Be careful when when you have that going on. Because what will happen is those, those who are speaking truth into your life, at some point, you, you will stiff arm them for so long, they will either come and wound you with the truth and say, fine, brother or sister, I'm going to leave you alone because that's what you desire. And a very good friend could totally walk away. Listen, all of this is individually true, but it's also true of churches. This altar that Ahaz had commanded to be built to worship his gods is the same as looking to worldly devices to worship God with. Like, as I said before, like introducing worldly philosophies, like the Enneagram. Raffling a Harley Davidson to attract people. These are, honestly, these are the things that I fear, I truly fear. I do not want to attract people with worldly things to bring them in. I I don't want that. I just want the gospel of Jesus Christ. I really, what I desire is for you guys, for all of us, to invite others. That That is the strongest form of just multiplying you know within the church is is for you individually to go and speak to someone else to share Christ with them invite them to come and see and hear and know and taste how good the lord is because when we start doing these worldly things we start compromising god's truth on the altar of worldly relevancy to appease the masses with such things as social justice, BLM, CRT, and the list goes on, instead of desiring to please and glorify our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. So King Ahaz not only sacrificed his own children to Moloch, but he also desecrated the temple. And this was as a result of the alliance that he sought with the king of Assyria. And God did respond to this evil by allowing attacks on Judah. He allowed this to happen. Remember that God will discipline whom he loves. And this is according to Hebrews chapter 12 verse 6. And so Ahaz, what he did was he designed and created his own place of worship and way of worship. And he completely disregarded even God's command that a, remember we covered this, that a king was not to serve as a priest. And yet King Ahaz sacrificed himself as a priest would, as a priest is assigned to You could say that he was a corrupt politician in every form who found a corrupted religious leader who would just go along 
Again, these are all warnings. This is, this is what happened then. It's happening today. Today. Let's keep our eyes wide open. Let's keep our, our eyes on the Lord. Let's read His Word. And, and we'll see. We'll be able to discern the times in which we're living in. Because history has proven that there are plenty of corrupt religious leaders who are seeking the approval and delight of corrupt political leaders because they desire to worship their gods. That's the reason. Hitler is a good example. Got together with a bunch of religious leaders that were just willing to go along. And they were just pawns used by Hitler and his evil desires. A compromise of idolatry, pleasure, and worldly ways will lead down this path of destruction. And again, if you're thinking he's getting political, I'm not. Okay? I am not. Let's let's make it very plain. I'm not talking about Republican or Democratic. I'm not telling you who to vote for. I'm telling you what to watch out for. I'm telling you to just draw closer to the Lord. The times are getting dark. We need to know what what is true, don't we? We should desire that. Says Uriah the priest did all this as King Ahaz commanded. Again, the influence of a corrupted political leader corrupted a religious leader, a God who is serving the Lord. Verse 17, <clears throat> let me go back to 2 Kings chapter 16. So uh, verse 17 says, And King Ahaz cut off the frames of the stands and removed the basin from them. And he took down the sea from off the bronze oxen that were under it and put it on a stone pedestal. And he covered uh, and, he, and the covered way for the Sabbath that had been built inside the house and the outer entrance for the king he caused to go around the house of the Lord because of the king of Assyria. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaz that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? And Ahaz slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, and Hezekiah his son reigned in his place. Uh, Now one other thing I want to address before we go entirely into this section and conclude is that um, he didn't do away with everything, but he set, as we see here, Um, back in verse, let's go back to verse 15. And King Ahaz commanded Uriah the priest, saying, On the great altar burn the morning burnt offerings and the evening grain offering, and the king's burnt offering and his grain offering, with the burnt offering of all the people of the land and their grain offering and their drink offering, and throw on it all the blood of the burnt offering and all the blood of the sacrifice. Let's stop there for a moment. So this was the great altar that he had um, he had Uriah build from what he had seen in Damascus. So this is the altar upon which he was now worshiping his gods. It says, but the bronze altar shall be for me to inquire by. So the, the true altar is set off to the side. And he's also going to inquire of the Lord on that altar as well. Again, just a mixture of all kinds of just false worship. It's just, it was grotesque, is what it was. But as we look at these last verses, 17 through 20, 
Ahaz, we see, removed everything that was good and replaced them with everything that was wicked, and he desecrated the temple. This is what happened. Again, in 2 Chronicles 28, verses 24 and 25, it says, And Ahaz gathered together the vessels of the house of God, and cut in pieces the vessels of the house of God, and he shut up the doors of the house of the Lord, and he made himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. In every city of Judah he made high places to make offerings to other gods, provoking to anger the Lord, the God of his fathers. And they were the ruin of him and all Israel. Keep in mind that this all took place at the temple that Solomon had built. This beautiful temple was all being desecrated. Where the true worship of God was centered and it was there that the true worship of God was also compromised. But also keep this in mind. Ahaz was not described as a heavy-handed king. But one that was easy to get along with. And had the benefit of a godly father. And yet he was a wicked man who also easily compromised And did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. He just went along to get along. Was willing to do anything. Anything goes. He's an easy guy. But he was wicked. The problem. Quite simply is this. He had no relationship with God. You want to get to the root of the problem? You're dealing with compromise in your life, or you see it in someone else. Ask this. Do you have, how is your relationship with God? Do you have a relationship with God? And if they say yes, or if you're saying yes, then, then what would prove that you have a relationship with God? Are you in the Word? Are you in fellowship? Is there any evidence? Is there any fruit in your life? Just take a look at it. Because the problem here is that there was no relationship with God. Therefore, no trust in God and no desire to glorify God in any way. By the way, this is why we need to, this is why it's crucial. Bad company corrupts good morals. That is not a suggestion. It's a true statement. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. This is why we need to pick our friends well. We need to surround ourselves with people and and to have fellowship with people who are truly walking with the Lord or at least be that person if you're bringing someone else along. Galatians 6.1 As you're bringing another brother or sister into a place of a restored relationship with the Lord, then mind yourself, lest you fall into that same sin or temptation that they have fallen into, and be that brother or sister to them. But we ought to surround ourselves with people who are walking strongly with the Lord. Remember, those examples are important. And if you're single, don't compromise. Please don't. Just wait. Pick your potential spouse well. 
making sure first and foremost that they are lovers and worshipers of Jesus Christ first and preeminently in all areas of life. Because I've also experienced seeing single friends compromise and then fall into a whole world of problems because they find out that that person was only saying that he or she is a Christian, but there was no evidence or no fruit that that was indeed what they were. Take care that you worship God the way he prescribes. Trust in God and his word, and don't mess with his word to suit your own fleshly, your own worldly desires. It is critical. It is critical that we are disciplined in our thoughts and trust in the Lord and know how to wage war against the principalities of darkness by submitting to the lordship and authority of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and his word, according to 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6. And I'll end with this. Ephesians 4, verse 17. Talking about, I initially started saying, this, this is what King Ahaz did. He replaced what was true with what was false. This is what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can come to you. Lord, as your word tells us, if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we are to... Consider the old man dead and live instead in the spirits and abiding in Christ, knowing your word that we may be able to discern when the world, the flesh, or Satan is trying to tempt us and make us fall into the trap of sin. That we may not only avoid that, Lord, but that we would also help others to avoid that very same temptation. And so, Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you for loving us the way you do, perfectly. Not as the world loves, Lord, but you love us perfectly. Even disciplining those whom you love, that we may come to a place of being convicted by your Spirit and according to your word, because we know that that conviction leads to eternal life in you. And so, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this moment. I pray, Lord, that we would think about these things. And, Lord, we would seek and desire, Lord, to understand them. We thank you, Father, and we pray this in Jesus' name.